Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning. My name is Ben Haug. I have the privilege of being on staff here as a student ministry associate. Uh, But above all else, I am a member of the North Central CG. Uh, This morning, we are opening up the book of Amos, and it will be chapter 1 and chapter 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he said concerning Israel in the days of Uzzah, king of Judah in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures the shepherd mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they are carried into exile a whole people to deliver them from Edom. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have delivered up a whole people of Edom, and they did not remember the covenant brotherhood. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with a sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Aramites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead and they might enlarge their border. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned the lime, to the lime the bones of the king of Edom. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord, and they have not kept his statutes, and their lies have led them astray for those after their fathers walked. So I will send a fire of Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. This is the, Lord, the word of the Lord. All right, we coming in hot, come on. Uh, how are we, y'all? Good. Well, hey, happy New Year. Uh, for those of you who have already uh, broken your New Year's resolutions or you're four days behind on your Bible in a Year plan and it is January 7th, uh, there's grace, all right? You're in church. God loves you. That's part of why we're here, to remember that. Um, and I hope that Christmas and New Year and the Reset Week was good. Uh, I'm excited for this year as a church, genuinely, and I'm really excited for this series as well. So we're kicking off a new series in the book of Amos, as you can see. Uh, and Amos is this powerful uh, little minor prophet that packs this really strong punch as the bumper video and what Ben read for us probably already alluded to. Uh, Amos is a book that focuses on justice and righteousness and how the gospel interacts and intersects with those two themes. And so in many ways, this series will function kind of as a justice and mercy series for us as a church. Uh, Periodically, as a church, we do these Justice and Mercy mercy series, really highlighting our desire to be a people who do not just believe in the gospel of God, but also a people who live out the gospel of God. Blessing, doing justice, giving mercy, bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Uh, The gospel is not just an intellectual knowledge that you ascend to, it changes how you interact with the world around you as 
you partner with the Spirit of God to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, The good news of Jesus does not just align our hearts right above with the Father who loves us. It also calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Amos is a great little book that focuses on just that. Now, can I keep it a buck 50 why we're starting off the year like this? Uh, Normally, people begin the New Year's, most churches begin the New Year's with kind of vision, like, hey, here's who we are as a church, or here's where we feel like God is leading us, but it is the year of our Lord 2024. That means it is another national election year. Yay! So excited, right? Um, That means that this is a good time for us to remember who we are supposed to be as the people of God. Uh, Coming fresh off of a discipleship series, one of the practical ways that we live out our discipleship is in the context of the world that we live in. And for the past several election cycles, nothing has seemed to make Christians forget how to be kingdom witnesses quite like politics in the world around us. So we want to be discipled by the scriptures on how God calls us to live with both justice and mercy and how we should be responding as the people of God. This way, saints, hear me, when the chaos begins, and it's going to begin this year, right? You already know there's been all sorts of injustices happening. They just haven't really been displayed, but give it a few months and all of a sudden you'll start seeing more of the injustices of the world. So when that chaos begins to happen, we're not reacting to it like the church so frequently does, but we're responding to it. Y'all feel the difference? Uh, Reacting is often an emotionally based thing that often carries with it very few long-term changes. But responding is this intentional, it's a planned thought through, it's a sober-minded way that really we can make an impact in the world around us. And we want to make an impact in the communities around us as a church body. In fact, even one of our distinctives as a church in our Serve Austin distinctive, it says that we see what the city could be. Like Israel, the church isn't just meant to be a blessing in and of itself, but it's actually meant to be a blessing for the world around them. When God initially established the nation of Israel, he desired for them to be a blessing to the people around them. But we'll see in this book, they totally forsook that, y'all. And they began to be selfish and self-thinking, but we don't want to do that. We want to bless Austin so much so that if our church would disappear, the city would be deeply grieved because of how much good we are bringing. We really, as a church, want to serve the community in tangible ways and be a blessing to it. Even in our uh, uh, biblical community, we don't find community, we fight for community, but it's not just any community, we desire to be a diverse community, seeing the kingdom of the world around us. And so I I just wanna say now, at the start of the series, when the emotion starts, And people are like, how come the well doesn't care about? I want you to remind them of this series, all right? Like, we've been on this, y'all. We're not gonna jump on it then because it's gonna get us a couple of likes and people are gonna get their emotions appeased. We actually want to respond as the people of God. So let's jump ahead of it so that we know how to interact, cool? 
That's where we're going throughout this series. And for those of you who maybe are a little bit concerned because you're newer to the well, that maybe will bend a little bit too far to the left or a little bit too far to the right, thinking about things like this, I want to encourage you, the true scriptures will not allow you to do either. We don't just want belief and we don't just want action. One is a social gospel warrior with no vision of heaven or hell or eternity or the sovereignty or goodness of God. And one is a Pharisee with no thought of the kingdom on earth as it will be in heaven. We need both action and belief. And we as a church will try to balance both, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength vertically, and to love neighbor as self horizontally. And so today, we're talking about the foundation of justice. Uh, Why does, at least in the book of Amos, why does justice matter? Uh, Why does God care about justice? What actually is biblical justice? Because some of these words have been hijacked and adulterated by our culture to mean something completely different than what the scriptures say. And so we're going to define some stuff to hopefully set up this series well. Uh, I actually think that you will really love this series. I think that we will love it. Uh, And if you're a little bit nervous because of some of the trauma of 2022, or 2020, my bad. Dang, I'm like fast forwarding this, right? Uh, In case you were not here as a church, I want you to know our church grew tighter in 2020 and we did a fiery justice and mercy series smack dab in the middle of the drama. Uh, It is possible to grow in love in the midst of a culture war if if you let the gospel take the lead and you begin to act in submission to it. It is possible to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And so hopefully we will feel encouraged and challenged throughout this series. Now, as we enter this book, in order to make sense of any book, the reader must answer the question, hey, what is this that I am reading? This is especially true with less familiar books like the book of Amos. Uh, Amos is very simply prophetic literature, okay? However, that doesn't mean much unless we know what constitutes a prophetic book and what we should expect from it. And so prophetic literature, what this means is that it was relevant for Amos' time, meaning the events that we are going to read about, they literally happen during and around the time of Amos. But like most biblical prophecy, it was a double prophecy, meaning it had both an immediate fulfillment and also a future fulfillment. For those in the future, what would happen is they would read this book, see the situations that this book talked about, looked back at the history of God and realize that because God didn't change, the same things that happen in that book will happen again if we do not heed the message of the book. Layman's terms is just as relevant for us today as it was for them then. And the prophecies are meant to be heard by us as well. It's no wonder why uh, there are preachers like Dr. Martin Luther King, who this was his favorite book. It's also a no wonder why a lot of American churches tend to shy away from books like this because it kind of speaks against some of our comforts as an American people. And so spoiler alert, Israel did not respond to Amos' message and they got sacked as a country. 
And it wasn't just them though, because then this book was taken to Judah and Judah did not respond either. And they got sacked as a nation as well. And this cycle continued multiple times throughout history. So we as a church really should respond to this. Okay, last tee up, then we'll actually dive into the text. Uh, There's a lot of structure in this book that unless you're familiar with how to interpret minor prophets, there can be some like riddles or some poetry that you can kind of miss just a little bit and miss some of the depth of the book. There are things like chiasms, if you know what that is, literally, like that happens throughout the book that uh, is all throughout it, that if we can see it, we can kind of gain more of an understanding. I originally wrote that into my sermon and I'm already going long today and I had to take all that out, okay? And so what I'm actually going to do is tomorrow at noon, I'm gonna jump on IG Live. That's my handle there, okay? And I'm actually going to try to walk through all of the structure and all of the questions. Now, let me say this real quick, okay? This ain't me trying to get more followers or something. That's so 2015, y'all, all right? Like, This is just the easiest way to do it where I don't gotta do a lot of tech stuff, all right? So jump on there tomorrow. If you want to ask questions, I can try to answer them tomorrow as well. But if you're like, yo dog, I'm working at noon. I get it, it'll be on there. You can go follow it later and then you can look at some of the other stuff. I will say this real quick. There will be some things in there that I'm just gonna breeze over, so will every other preacher, and kind of hopes that you know some of this ideas. So if you can check it out at some point, do that. I think it'll help you appreciate a book like Amos more, because when you read a bunch of like, they're threshing Gilead with the iron hedges, that doesn't mean anything unless you understand it. Cool? Okay, look, y'all thought I was trying to get followers. I ain't one of them dudes, all right? Here we go, verse one is really, really powerful. Uh, Amos is not a professional prophet. He's just a shepherd. He's a normal dude. He does not come from a kingly, priestly, or prophetic family or background. That word there for shepherd is actually a really rare word for shepherd, which carried almost more of a managerial type of role. So Amos is probably middle class is what this means. Just your normal suburban tech guy, all right? Now, are you encouraged by that, right? I didn't get any amens, which I was expecting, but I didn't even get a head nod to that. Uh, Do you see what this is saying? What it's saying off the bat is that you do not need to be special to be used by God. We always think they out there when we think about God prophetically or powerfully speaking through us to reach the nations, but God is not looking for the gifted. He is looking for those with high character and high response to his calling. Gifts matter, okay? God does indeed use them. Amos is wildly gifted. You can actually tell in the way that he's writing this. So I'm not underplaying gifts, but I am overplaying calling. God can use you too, saints, if you respond to the voice of God when he speaks. When you see something that God is calling you to do, check with the scriptures to make sure it actually aligns with them, interact with your community to make sure they confirm it, and then go do it, y'all. You could be a regular shepherd of Tekoa and still be used powerfully for the person and the work of God. God can use you. This is also an important idea though, because Amos is a nobody in that sense. It would be therefore much easier to reject Amos's message because he's not really a professional prophet. Nobody really knows who this guy is. Even worse, 
Amos is from Judah preaching against Israel, which is the northern kingdom. Quick background, there was once 12 tribes and they all constituted the nation of Israel. After Solomon's reign, his sons, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, they broke off and they formed the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was 10 tribes. The southern kingdom was two. It was Israel and Judah. And what happened is Israel didn't listen to this message, got taken over by Assyria and turned into the Samaritans. The Jews didn't listen to this message, got taken over by by the Babylonians and turned into the Jews. And so they have hostility because of the fractured relationship that happens. Amos is a Southern dude speaking against the Northern dudes. And that means that they really probably didn't wanna listen to this nobody. Application question number two. Are there people in your life who are proclaiming the words of God and the truth of God, but because they're not impressive, you're not impressed to respond? Be careful whose message you reject just because they're not a part of your tribe, right? Just because someone is uh, young or of a different political or cultural or ethnic or educational or convictional background, they may be speaking the very words of God that you've completely ignored and need to hear. In fact, we, like Israel, can tend to use our religious history and the fact that we are friends with God to reject a message that may be revealing to us just how out of touch we are with the heart of God. The last election cycle showed us that as a church, didn't it? That there's so much of our own ideologies that married into our Christianity that all of a sudden it was really hard to tell the world apart from us. And at times we looked worse than the world. Are you sure that you're not rejecting the words of God from people just because you don't like the way they sound? Are you sure that you're you're not responding to the scriptures? Are you sure you're not more like ancient Israel than you would like to think? We need to respond to the words of God. Maybe to say it a little bit more plainly, whenever the scripture is spoken, like like the true word of God, okay? Not the adulterated word of God to fit in with somebody else's narrative. But whenever the true scripture is spoken, we should respond to it, whether we like what it says or who it is that's saying it. When we reject the message, we're ultimately rejecting Christ, who is himself the word of God. And so we may not feel like we're rejecting Jesus, but Jesus is the word of God. And as we reject the word of God, we're rejecting Jesus because Jesus came to show us how to live out the word of God. And often what we do is we create our own version of Christianity that benefits us, neglects those around us, and puffs us up with religious pride that draws disdain from the heart of God. We need to heed the message of scripture and respond to it, saints. That needs to be our hearts. Now what Amos does next is really creative to try to help these people respond. He does this poetic expression to try to make this point, to help soften their hearts to be able to receive the message. Amos, he draws this circle with the nations, sort of creating almost like a bullseye around Israel itself. He goes through seven different nations and he starts on the outside and starts closing in towards the people of Israel. Additionally, he begins with three nations that have nothing to do with ancient Israel. They're just nations that were formed in and of themselves apart from Israel. 
But then next, he goes through three nations that actually are directly tied to the nation of Israel, like they came from some of the same uh, family lineage as Israel. For example, the Ammonites came from Lot, who was a cousin of Abraham, so they're really close in family kin. In other words, there are people that are far on the outside that don't understand a whole lot about Yahweh, and God holds them to one standard. Then there are people that are a little bit closer. They should know a little bit better and God holds them to a standard, then there's Judah, and they should know way better, and God holds them to a standard, and then there's Israel, and they have the law of the Lord, and they have the words of God. They should know better. What we see is that God holds different people to account for different things based on what they know. Now, that's actually gonna be the whole sermon next week. And so I'm not gonna get into that a whole lot. What I will say today though is, it's really easy to see that. Paul gives the same idea in Romans chapter one. In Romans chapter one, he says, hey, listen, the world does not have the law, but they do have the general revelation of God. They know that they should be responding to some sort of divine being. Like if you actually think, how did all of this come to being? You have to land to the conclusion there must be a God. And what they also have to do is respond to the moral compass that's placed inside of them that says we really should love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the world's response. But for the people of God, they have the word of God and they are called to begin to imitate Christ. So for us who are Christians, God expects us to imitate him. Now this may seem like a burden, right? Like, like we have a higher law, uh, but as we'll see throughout this series, that higher law always leads to our freedom. It leads to other people's blessing. It leads to God's presence and therefore blessing and literally good around us, which ends up ultimately being good for us as people respond to the law of God. In other words, the law is not a burden. It is for your good. And so we should desire to know God's words, but God does hold us accountable if we know them to whom much is given, much is required. In other words, it always costs something, saints of God, to take the words of God and to respond and create justice and righteousness on the front end. It is always a sacrifice to bring justice into this broken world, but the ROI is profound. When you do justice, things turn beautiful. And this turns to your blessing and blessing for those that you love and those who Christ wants to, uh, them to know him, it turns to their blessing as well. And if that blessing isn't felt now, family, the next generation will always get to eat the fruit of the seeds that you planted today. And you will get rewards in eternity where it matters anyway. I think about something like the civil rights movement just a generation ago. A lot of them did not get to eat the fruit of the seeds that they planted, but you and I are getting to eat of that fruit. And Lord, so are they. They're just eating fruit in heaven where it matters. For those who actually believed in Jesus, they are standing with the King and they did justice and there is reward for that because they were imitating the heart of God. Now, for the rest of the letter after this week, it contains this, this levy against Israel. But for this week, we're gonna focus on the other nations and their general call to love people. Remember, these nations do not have the law. There's just this general call to respond to the moral compass and to love their neighbor as themselves. 
Now, I won't be tackling each of these sections because there's seven of them, and we ain't a missionary Baptist church where I'm afforded an hour and a half to preach, but I'll be tackling more of them on IG Live tomorrow. Hello. All right. Uh, let's hit on a few right now. It'll gain some general foundation, and then we'll lay some application to help us throughout this series. It starts off by saying in all of them, for three transgressions and for four, that is a figure of speech for saying, y'all got a lot of sins, bruh. You would then expect Amos to hit them with four things, but he only hits them with one complaint for almost all of the nations, showing again that their sins are simply too many to count, so we're just gonna focus on one of them, mugs. You missed it. There's the gospel nugget in there for us. Our sins before God are also way too many to count. Um, in irony, most of us came to Christ probably deeply convicted about one of our sins. We felt some addiction or we felt some shame or we felt some bondage or we realized our guiltiness for this one major sin and then we saw the death of a son. We felt the forgiveness of that sin at large and then years later, when we matured in our Christianity, we found out God had way more against us that he could have condemned us with and instead he decided to show us grace and mercy. Praise God, right? But, but, but God is highlighting a need to respond, a need to change. I want to highlight a sin for you so that you know you're out of line with me is what God is saying. So look at verse 11 and 12, for example, with Edom. It says, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, right? Like, okay, what punishment will he begin to speak of? What he says is, listen, uh, you pursued his brother with the sword, cast off all pity, your anger tore perpetually, and you kept your wrath forever. How does this prophetic literature apply now? Well, some of us do this towards people who have wronged us, don't we? We hold grudges against them for ages, not forgiving them in our hearts, Thereby, according to Jesus, hating and murdering our brother with our hearts, leading towards the corruption of our heart as we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness and anger like Satan does. And as we begin to hold on to that, it then corrupts our heart. And as our heart gets corrupted, we then years later begin to respond with negativity towards a person, therefore hurting and ruining that person, having no idea that that all came from the unforgiveness of our heart. Are you sure we're not more like Edom, friends? Are you sure that this type of sin doesn't reign in us as well? The anger just tears perpetually and we don't know how to find the mercy of God or the forgiveness of God. Are you sure we're not like these Gentile nations? Listen, we are more like Edom than we would like to think. I'm sorry that that made you cry, but it's true, <laughs> right? Who in your life are you unwilling to forgive? Straight up. The Holy Spirit and his grace probably dropped a couple people in your head when I asked that because we're like the Edomites, y'all. We need the grace of God. And you say that your judgment against that person in your heart is better than the judgment of God who desires to offer them forgiveness, thereby turning yourself into a judge like God. Are you sure you're not more like Edom, family? We can respond in the same type of way. Okay, that's individually how we can respond. 
But what about maybe like collectively as a society? Think about ways that this can impact us as well. Verse 13, he goes on. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. Abortion is essentially the exact same thing. It is the killing of children for our own financial gain or comfort. Now listen, in our last Justice and Mercy series, we did a whole sermon about this, and there's no way I can give enough caveats in a couple of minutes for you to understand all of the nuances and why this is a biblical position, that there is a life and there should be a value of that life, and how the politicians have used this to corrupt their own agendas, yada, yada, yada. There's all sorts of caveats we can give. There's also all sorts of grace that exists because in a room this size, we have likely been swayed by society where maybe even we have done this ourselves or encouraged this in others and can feel the shame that maybe comes along with that. And there is unbelievable beauty and forgiveness of God. God stands ready to forgive. So I'm not even trying to argue politically here or even ethically whether you think it is right or wrong, but I want you to be honest and think about this societally. God desires for us to care for those who are vulnerable who can't decide for themselves, who cannot speak for themselves. He does not want us to mainly think about our rights and our comforts and our gains, but that of others. According to the gospel, this is what will create a beautiful world for everyone when we think about others as more significant than ourselves. And the rhetoric of the world right now around an issue like this is the exact opposite thing than that of the gospel. The rhetoric around abortion is think about what's right for you. It is your body, it is your choice, it is your right, making you think about you and what your needs are rather than thinking about them and what their needs might be. The very rhetoric gets you to think about you rather than others and all throughout the scripture is clear. God wants us to love our neighbor family to think about them. So even if you're like, ah, well, maybe there's some, listen, don't even go to the ethics. Just think about the heart behind what the ethics are saying. It gets you to think about you and that is not in line with scripture. All throughout the gospel, Jesus tells you, think about others as more significant than yourself. There's a whole sermon on it. So before you email me, listen to that sermon, then email me, okay? Now listen, I know, I know this is too complex, right? To like just tackle in in one swoop. So don't hear me leaning political because ultimately this was never a political issue. Politicians on both sides, which we'll talk about later, have hijacked different points of the gospel to try to get us to align with their kingdoms, even though each of the kingdom is promoting a demonic anti-gospel, both Republican and Democrat alike. Okay, so what I'm saying to you is not a political or a cultural stance. It's, are you sure texts like this aren't relevant? Are you sure we're not doing the exact same things just in different ways? We say, oh, well, man, we don't know if that child can like make it because of the poverty. My mom was encouraged to get an abortion with me because we grew up poor and broken and there was all sorts of chaos around us. And every single person in my family encouraged her to do that, but she decided to keep me and I worship the Lord for that, saints. 
So listen, that thought of like, no, me, me, or what's good for me, like we gotta think about the other as more significant than ourselves. God cares about this. The rhetoric of the world is you, you, you. The rhetoric of Christ is them, them, them. Which one do you sound more like? Are you sure that this isn't relevant? Let me give you one more example. There's an individual application you can take with each of them, like Edom. There's a societal application you can lay, like we just did. But what about a church culture? Because we have our own issues too. Look at chapter two, verse one. It says, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. The victim here is an Edomite king, the one in charge of Edom, the powerful. Some of our social justice in the world is anti-power and anti-system. Are we sure that that's the root issue? Like, isn't God powerful? Didn't God create systems? No doubt there's all sorts of corruption in worldly systems. In fact, God just spoke against this very Edomite king. In verse 11 that we just looked at, it was the Edomite king that God was speaking against. But does that mean just because he was wicked that now we don't have to care or even we enact hardship upon him? No. This shows that just because one is the perpetrator of evil does not mean that evil should be our return. Part of the way that you know your Christianity has been corrupted and turned pagan or demonic is when you desire harm or death for those who have wronged or hurt you. Christ did not do that to you. You hurt him and then he prayed for you and he won you and he blessed you. That's called mercy. Jesus said we should love our enemies. We should pray for those who have abused us. Luke 9 says, if your main heart is to punish the wrongdoer, then you miss the part of the gospel where Christ forgave you. Call out the wrongdoer? Yes, that's literally what's happening. That is good. But we need to check our motives as we're making those calls. In our culture, I tend to see people more obsessed with retribution and they call that justice instead of justice and mercy meeting in these sacrificial and sacred ways. Like, listen, if you can uh, see issues in other people's camps, but you cannot see issues in your own camp, then you probably should not be prophetically speaking out against others. You will literally, if you only see the problem in their camp, sound a lot more like Jonah than like Jesus. And Amos saw the problems in his own camp. He's about to call out Judah next. He saw his problems very clearly. So I'm not saying that you cannot speak truth. Truth is good. I'm just saying that you need grace attached to that truth. Be careful if you are only speaking truth, because if God only spoke justice to you, then you would go to hell when you died. The truth is we should be far from God, but grace covers over this truth. We are a people of truth because we care about fixing broken things, but also a people of grace because we know that God's kindness is what leads men to repentance. And we see God's upside down kingdom strategy to bring about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Let me be a little bit more plain. If you listen to podcasts, if you follow some cats on Twitter, if you're like listening to some voice that you consider a prophetic voice, if the people that you listen to only levy prophetic complaints about them out there, then they sound a lot more like Satan than they do like Jesus. 
Because Satan is an accuser of the brethren. This is what they did wrong. This is what they're doing wrong. This should be the judgment gone against them is Satan's main discourse, never repenting of his own folly. We need to respond like Christ, with graciousness, with mercy, knowing that we ourselves are doing the same things just in different ways and we need the grace of God. What I'm saying is these texts are relevant, y'all. Because in one of them, maybe we're holding on to too much anger towards our brother. For one of them, maybe we're even holding on to our shame for things that we have done or holding on tightly to the culture's rhetoric. For one of them, maybe we're holding on to even justice itself a little bit too hard. We need a model of repentance and humility within our truth, seeing our need for grace. Amos does just that. When he begins this complaint that he has against Judah, where he's from, he sees their problems too. He sees that they're drifting just like Israel. There's a deeper standard that Amos holds his people to. And he says that their lies are leading people astray. And the same thing can happen to us. We begin to say things like, well, the Bible doesn't really mean and begin to justify or excuse our sin or our apathy, thinking that that will lead to our comfort when the Bible is set up for your freedom and for your blessing. And when you reject the words of scripture, then you are rejecting both freedom and blessing. Amos's beginning of his book gives us a clear foundation of God's understanding of justice. And that word is God cares about people. God cares about people. All the nations, right? These Gentile nations, these powerful kings, these people that were threshed under the iron threshes of Gilead, God cares about all people. And God especially gives his heart to the marginalized and those who are oppressed, therefore we should too. That's what Amos is saying. We should care about justice, be a people of justice, doing justice in the world around us. Now at this point in the book of Amos, It would have been really easy for Israel, because remember, they didn't get blasted yet, right? To be like, yeah, destroy those pagan nations. Unfortunately, though, Israel was guilty for a lot of these same sins. In fact, what Amos does is he takes these seven complaints and then he gives them to Israel for the rest of his letter, showing how they too are just like the nations they despise. Similarly, it could be really easy for us to look at a bunch of foreign nations and think that it has no relevance for us. But how should we love our neighbor? Do we have a heart like God's who cares for the least of these? Do we oppress maybe at times simply because of our lack of vision and care? We don't do something when we could, and so we become just like the Edomites who thought that they were just doing their own little thing, but in reality, they are harming the nations of God. Are we more like ancient Israel, ancient Judah, ancient Damascus than we would like to think? Should we be standing condemned for hurting God's people and God's creation and for breaking God's law and for our lack of our neighbor and our lack of fighting for good because good is hard to fight for in this broken world. So we don't do the works of justice. We try to think about our own lives, therefore becoming self-focused, being anti-God in the process. Should we stand condemned? Yes, is the answer, family. We stand guilty just like Amos. 
Lest, at the beginning of a Justice and Mercy series, we puff ourselves up and think because we did one righteous act, we're all good. We too will become like the nations because sin is in the world around us and we can fall victim to it. We are like the table of nations. We have done harm and should be destroyed. But thanks be to God, that is not our story. For God, the God of justice, the one who hates and corrects oppression, who will protect the vulnerable, God himself knows how to protect the vulnerable because he himself became vulnerable himself. God became vulnerable as a baby. He became an immigrant, having to flee an oppressive king who murdered babies, essentially ripping open pregnant women, trying to maintain his land in the king, Herod. Jesus was in exile, just like some of these foreign nations caused upon other nations. He was delivered up by people, even by a friend in Judas. His bones were buried just like the Edomite king. And ultimately, Jesus died as if he was a breaker of God's law. Like he committed all of the transgressions that you and I should stand condemned for and that all of these nations should stand condemned for. He died like an unruly king rather than a sacrificial king. Jesus died an Ammonite, a Moabite, a broken, sinful Israelite, instead of the glorified Son of God, so that we who sin in these ways and should face God's judgment might now instead receive God's mercy. Jesus died for the oppressed and for his enemies, and it was that very sacrificial act that should now lead us to desire to give love to even our enemies because that is what we were before God. It should lead us to desire to fix the brokenness in the world because Jesus has begun to fix us and will bring it to completion on that great day. You see, what you see in this rebuke of the nations is that God cares about people. Love, remember our last series, is not just a feeling, but also an action. So when God calls us to love our neighbor, it isn't just that we feel a certain way towards them, but it's also that we act certain ways towards them. This is why justice is the foundation of God's throne because he loves humanity even in action. And the more we have the heart of Christ, the more we want to see justice for humanity because this means they're thriving and they're living in the way that God desires for them to live. Now, can I give a pastoral encouragement here before we move into the rest of our series? Thank you, three people. (laughs) Um, You cannot fix everything. You are not God, okay? Um, You also cannot expect everyone to care about a thing as much as you care about it because they are not God right? And you don't care about the thing that I care about as much as I think you should. And like, listen, y'all, we are finite human beings. But as Christians, we can call people to have a heart like God and prayer towards everything, but also to find the things that God has placed on their heart to fix and to begin to do those things. Some of us need to release the burden of trying to be like God, even in our justice. Hello, that's a word for someone. I'm going over. Listen, some of y'all are so desirous to see justice. You want to see every single thing fixed as if you were God. Only God can do that, y'all. God calls you as a finite human to rest and to trust in his sovereignty that he will bring it to completion one day. 
but then to do what we can in our humanity as best as we can to bring about justice on earth. And so maybe you care about educational disparity, or maybe you really care about racial reconciliation, particularly maybe even within the church. Maybe you care about policing issues or politics or poverty or systemic issues that have happened because of all the disparities that exist across different institutions. Maybe you care about the judicial system or immigration issues or foster care ministry or human trafficking or family brokenness and restoration. I could go on and on. We can move in action towards some of those things. And God, I think, in the book of Amos and throughout the scripture calls us to do that. So what breaks your heart? What do you long to see fixed? Because maybe God put that in your heart that you might enact justice on this world, even as a community. Like, what are your one-place ambassadors or what we used to call missions liaisons? Like, like, do you see the importance all of a sudden of them within community groups where as a whole community, maybe you go to prison systems and just share the gospel. Maybe you go to where there's poverty and try to alleviate it just a little bit. We are not God. We will not bring the whole kingdom of God because we are not Christ riding back on the white horse, but he will come. And until he comes, we can begin to establish it, prepare the way for him, just like John the Baptist of old. And part of the way that we do that is to enact good on the earth around us. Listen, family, this world is broken and we're gonna see it again this year. But do you see why Amos is relevant? Can you see how you can aid in the midst of the brokenness? Can you see how, if you can see it, y'all, if you can see God's heart for justice, then maybe we will not bring the kingdom in full, but we can bring the kingdom in shadows. And when we bring the kingdom in parts, then people begin to see the beauty of the kingdom and they respond to it. We can make a difference on this earth, family. God cares about justice. He'll write entire prophetic books about it. So I pray that we would be a people that care about justice too. I hope in this series, we learn to act a little bit more like Amos instead of like ancient Israel. And where we are like ancient Israel, that we would repent and receive the mercy of God because God's judgment never overrides God's mercy. No matter how much sin we have done or the world has done, God's mercy is stronger. And if we respond to God's mercy, we can experience God's freedom and then like God, bring justice to the world around us. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray together. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Jesus, thank you for being the God of justice. God, I know for some, thinking about all this and even thinking about brokenness can be really hard. There's brokenness all in the world. We just got to turn on the news. And it can feel heavy or weighty. And maybe even we want to hear like more about God's love or more about God's grace and maybe more of the, the, the softer parts almost of the gospel. I pray that we would see how all of this intertwines, that we were like these ancient nations, that we deserve this castaway from you and yet you love us. This is mercy, mercy, mercy. <clears throat> you love us. God, I pray for everyone who stepped into this room maybe unsure of where they were in relationship with you. 
Friends, I wanna make a really bold claim. There is no greater injustice on earth than spiritual separation from God. We could fix all the problems in the world, but then if we die and we are away from God, we miss the whole point. But upon belief in Jesus, not only are we letting him erase all of the guilt and shame of the past, but we're also saying, God, I wanna be a part of your kingdom. I wanna be a part of where you reign. When you come back and establish the throne, that's where I wanna be. And so friends, right now, you can decide to enter into that kingdom of God. The scriptures say, whoever says that they profess faith, they believe in Jesus, they say, Jesus, come live in my heart. I am sorry for the wrong that I have done. I desire your forgiveness. I want to be your child. I want to be your kingdom citizen. God invites you in, family. You can have relationship with God today if you simply believe. Align to the kingdom of light. And Jesus, I pray for all of us who have made that profession of faith. I pray that you would show each person in this room where you're actually proud of us, where we have listened to the voice of God, where we have responded in justice, where we are making a difference, even though it feels like sometimes pushing a million pound boulder uphill, you by your strength of your spirit, we are getting to move the meter. I pray that you would give us encouragement and endurance. And Jesus, that you would also give us conviction where maybe you're calling us to respond a little bit more. Maybe even six months from now, when we're really tempted to sound more like the world, that we would choose to sound more like you. Give us your heart. Give us your justice. Move our hands in action out of an overflow of love that we have for you. We love you, Jesus. We praise things in your name. Amen. everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.